You're listening to A Quality Podcast with your hosts, John Thacker Jr. and Jake Harrell. When I was first doing safety at the the first plant that I talked to you about, this is how crazy the rules get. But a, a forklift operator knocked over a bunch of skids onto another person. And that, that, that person got a compound fracture. And the company sent the person with the compound fracture to get a drug test and left the forklift operator alone. Here, John Thacker Jr. With me is co-host Jake Harrell, and our special guest today is Sean Fields. Sean, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm glad glad to be here. So, well, we're excited to have you on, and today we're branching out a little bit in our pursuit of all things making businesses better. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about safety. So, Sean, tell me about that. Well, you know, like in the past, I came on and I talked to you about like lean systems, you know, about a year ago, maybe time flies. But what was funny is I, I, uh, was watching your episodes and you and Jake were kind of back and forthing on a couple of different items that, and I really, I really liked that. And I'd written y'all with a suggested experiment on a, a variation on that idea. I didn't know if it would work or not. And the problem was in my mind, that was for something for someone else to do, not for me, but then y'all kind of threw it back at me and y'all said, well, why don't you try it on our show? And so I kind of thought about it for a second and then I went, okay, I'll, 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 you know, I'll accept the gauntlet and I'll, you know, I'll come back. But then I had to start thinking about what's the subject because I thought y'all were going to come up with the subject. And so, <laughs> you know, and, but, but it, it kind of did come to me at a certain point And I, uh, realized, you know, we, we talked about all these different things, like y'all talked about LinkedIn nonsense and, you know, talent acquisition, stuff like that. But one of the things that I see that is a really glaring issue that I see in industry is safety. Like the thing that kind of gets me about it is that like 30 years ago when I was starting out and I was kind of young, like Jake is like, I was one of these guys, I was working at a plant with 400 people. Uh, it, and I was, I was kind of new out of school and, the, you know, they kind of, the subject of safety came up and they kind of just thrust it upon me, you know, because, it, you know, you, you kind of give it to your guy that doesn't know what he's doing, or you give it to a burnout, you know, that kind of, to me, that, especially at that time, I would say stuff like safety was what you gave to those kinds of people, kind of loser type mm-hmm. people. And so, yeah. you know, that's, that's perfect for a new guy out of school. What does he know? And then, you know, he, he just won't do anything and that'll be okay. But what, what happened, uh, and I, like, I was kind of thinking, well, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of didn't feel very flattered by that assignment, but what I kind of discovered was I went, wow, actually it started, it started hitting me because you can really, because I was an industrial engineer at this plant and I still had to do industrial engineering duties, but I took care of safety on the side. And the thing I discovered is I went, actually, it made me a much better industrial engineer. And the thing I realized is that if you actually think about the safety side and think about it a certain way, you can actually make the plant a lot better. You can make the work experience better, make things much more efficient and get a lot of costs down but without actually taking anything out of anybody's shorts. 
And so I, I really like that. Now, now the thing that made it kind of more interesting is I was at this mass production plant and it was in the middle of the oil field. And so at, at that time, 30 years ago, I would say the oil field gave less than it gave less than a care. I'm trying to keep my language nice. I know occasionally y'all let it fly, but, but my wife, you know, my wife would just be disappointed in me if I let my language fly too much. So, but the thing, the oil field did not care about safety at all. And I was surrounded by that, you know, there, because you just reach out to other people, you found out this and that. Now, later on, I, I kind of got away from that. I wasn't dealing with the oil field very much, but then I came back in like about in 20, 16, I'd say maybe 2014, but I came back at that time and I was working with large companies like your Exxon's, your Halliburton's, your Schlumberger's, and I was stunned. It was like, and I was like saying this to you earlier, it was like I was Rip Van Winkle. All of a sudden the world changed. Can and you if you go into any of these- another analogy? I might know what it is. Well, yeah, you know about Rip Van Winkle, right? Or no? No. Oh, it's a famous story about this guy in the, in, in New York. It's, it's a, you know, like, you know, in New York, you have these Dutch people and Rip Van Winkle was this guy and he went and he, and he was kind of, he drank too much. And then he was in the mountains and he fell asleep and he woke up about like 20 or 30 years later and everything had changed on him. It's like, you know, it's just a, one of these tales. So you can Google Rip Van Winkle and you'll see what I mean. So it was like, I had just like gone into a complete time warp and all these people were suddenly just saying safety, 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 and doing safety moments at meetings and, uh, doing toolbox meetings for 30 minutes and, and all kinds of paperwork you have to do. If like, if you were walking on a shop floor, you had to fill out all this paperwork. And like, if you're, if you're like a consultant going there, you have to, uh, you know, like watch a, uh, an orientation video, you know, just on and on, just very, uh, very bureaucratized is the way I put it. And so to me, the oil industry cared about the letter of the safety issue, you know, like your OSHA regulations and so forth. But to me, the substance I thought was kind of ignored to a large degree. And I, to me, that's, uh, that's what I think of as a big opportunity is, uh, is if like people in industry start thinking of safety as a way to make their operation better and make the work experience better, there, there's a lot of possibility there, you know. Well, I'll tell you yeah. before I attack comments and we dive into it. I've spent two hours arguing with John in a text message about the merits of Tim Woods, and I'm heated. Huh. I'm ready to oh, fight. Well, well, that now that that is stupid. It is beyond stupid. I but I totally Tim, agree with you. Tim and Wood I would have been more. No I would have been. I would have been more than happy to discuss Tim Wood with you. That's for sure. But you know, that's you know from previous conversations, I completely you know, ball that up in a wad of paper and just throw it in the waste, you know, throw it in file 13 right away. Cause to me, it's pointless, you know, but that's a. So a lot of good stuff, you know, safety is a, a really big topic and yeah. it's important at some level to pretty much everybody that we work with, even yeah. if it's important because corporate says it's important. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, one of the things that you touched on that I thought was really good is this idea that you were an industrial engineer who was in charge right. of safety, and right. that improved your abilities as mm -hmm. an IE. And I think this ties into you know some stuff that Jacob and I have been saying for a while, which is you know when you add silos in, it doesn't change the company very easily or very quickly, mm -hmm. as opposed to working with the people that are already 
part of the value creation process, right? So if you have a production environment, you have to have uh, certain specialized engineering knowledge uh-huh. um, in order to execute. Well, if you throw a lean guy into the company, we now have a lean silo and you get this lean guy. Well, uh-huh. how's that going to affect anything? And if you have a safety guy, you know, this is mm-hmm. really common nowadays, right? We have yeah. a safety guy. Well, don't get me wrong. If the body of knowledge that person has significantly exceeds the body of knowledge everyone else has, then if they have the heart of a teacher, they can sort of start getting some change to happen in the company. Yeah. The problem is sort of the, the social signaling that's sent out by having a safety silo, Right. Yeah. It's first of all, it shouldn't be an area of expertise. Can mm-hmm. you be an expert in regulations for your industry? Yeah, and you need people with that knowledge base, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But mm-hmm. what you don't want is a culture where, well, to to know safety, I have to be a safety guy, right? Or worse, and and this is kind of how it works out with both the lean thing and the safety thing mm-hmm. in my experience is yeah. Well, you know, it's not my responsibility. It's not my mm-hmm. responsibility to improve the work every day. There's a guy for that. I mean, we literally oh God, pay someone to do that. It's not the guy's that. responsibility either. And now it's functionally yeah. nobody's. <laughs> and now it's functionally nobody's, right? And the same thing happens with safety, where it's like, well, I'm doing it the way that Bubba told me to do the work. So if it's mm-hmm. not safe, fuck you, you know? I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm doing it the way I was taught, and that's that guy's job. And, and meanwhile, the safety guy's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm really just here to inform and educate, but it's up to you guys, you know, and, and somewhere the ball gets lost and, and we're playing the wrong sport. Mm-hmm. No, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And the other problem, to me, the problem I've always believed when you hire a safety, if you're hiring a safety guy, they need to be something else. And safety is a piece of what they do. And that's, that's and anytime I took care of safety anywhere, it was always a side thing. It wasn't a, a primary thing, which made a big difference because like to me, when you talked about a safety person having a heart for teaching, I would also add, they need to have a heart for learning because you really need to understand the work because that's where the, the safety is made or broken. If you don't understand the work, then you're creating all these dumb checklists and toolbox right. meetings. Let's see, Jake was talking to me about this earlier, and I totally agree. I think a toolbox meeting is an utter abject waste of time. You yeah, know, I'd say non-value add by definition because no production is taking place. Yeah, yeah. But also it's kind of like I would I mean, I have no problem with somebody twisting off for 30 minutes. I'm fine with that, but I'd just send them to go watch TV and you know, have a soft drink, something like that, rather than waste their time on a toolbox meeting. But but to me, if you're gonna like, you know, use them for something and required then yeah why not have them work like like jake says but to me the uh because the well the thing that people miss a lot of times is like i've always divided safety into three phases it's like there's workers comp there's osha and there's real safety and to me they're they the two don't really intersect the three don't intersect much and so if your workers comp is is a is a, like a behavioral issue mostly like, like this first plant that I was doing it, people were gone for, if, if there's a lost time, it was they were gone for a day or they were gone for a lifetime. And a lot of that just totally, there, there were conditions that created that. But to me, deeper, it was more the supervision and the man- management nature of that place because people were kind of disgruntled or the insurance sucked 
and they needed, they needed a way to pay for their medical and they could use workers comp to pay for their medical stuff like that. And so that was one thing. And if you manage it right, then because uh, if you manage that right, that's one thing. Then there's OSHA. OSHA is about the 20 year accident. That's really ugly, you know? And so that's good. But, it, but if you could be perfectly OSHA compliant, you can have a very unsafe plant because the real safety I get into, it's the day-to-day stuff where mm-hmm. you understand the work and you make the work as good as possible. And really, in a way, it's like you slip in safety with a sleight of hand without safety even coming up. Because if you can redesign the work where it's better, it makes everything just go a lot more smoothly. And and you get, you get into all those, well, and I'll, I'll, I'm going to, I'll bring something up because I think you may have heard of this book. You may have not, but it's called Safety Anarchist. Have you ever heard of that book? It's by a guy named John Decker, I think. But what's funny is that he kind of goes into all the cultural, you know, cultural stuff. But but I really the, the the title grabbed me because I liked it. You know, he's he's talking. He he really is kind of bristling against all that that uh, you know, overhead and so forth. And so I really like that. But kind of like I had some other elements because to me, I'm a big believer that technical can actually drive culture because I actually don't like talking about culture because to me it's primarily about how about I not be a stiff idiot. You know, that's, if you can, if you can get in your mind, I'm not going to be a stiff idiot. To me, culture has a way of taking care of itself. I don't know. Like what yeah. y'all's, like, I figure that's been y'all's experience. Just be, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an outcome person. of the environment in which you're a part of. So to talk about it is to avoid any actual root causes. Like, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah. well, right. Yeah. And what's funny is the thing that I've always found it to be the universal solvent of culture is skill. If you actually know yeah. what the what the hell you're talking about and you're good at what you do, people respect it. And it's like, I don't care what culture, you know, race, whatever you're from. If someone has skill, people are going to be okay with you. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and so to me, like granted, not everybody can, you, you've got to work actively and apply yourself to become decent. But if you can, if you're actually going that way, I think people respect it, you know? So, well, it's one of the things that, um, we don't talk about it very often, probably because you can't make money off of talking about it. But, you know, the, the biggest input to culture, when we talk about workplace culture, is the actual work itself. Uh-huh. And that applies to safety as well. Yeah. Right. You want a safety culture. What you're really talking about is how do I do the work? How, you know, not what does the standard say, but what do yeah. I actually have to do every day to earn a living? Yeah. Right. What's really going on? Mm-hmm. And you can't, uh, you know, legislate safety. Yeah. Right. You can't say, well, this is, you know, this is the official way we're going to do it because it's safe. Well, I mean, come on, man. Like how many times have you seen people cheat official systems and there's all kinds of reasons for it. You know, this idea that it's production pressure, that's, that's largely false. It's Mm -hmm. very rare that you'll see somebody cheat a safety system because, well, I'm not going to hit my numbers. No, but what, they might use that as an excuse, but why they're really circumventing is it sucks. It's poorly thought out. They don't think it necessarily keeps them safe or it might keep them safe from like that, you know, once in a century accident, but come on, man, like how realistic is that, you know, to happen? I just want to dive in on your last four words that came out of your mouth. And that's that once in a century accident. Yeah. That has become what safety is. Like don't stand your pallet vertically up on the wall in the warehouse. Or else one mm. time it might fall yeah. when it's perfectly aligned to your toes and get you. Something yeah, that's yeah. happened three times since the dawn of humanity. 
<laughs> but no, no, right, right. And and here's the deal. I do like because me like let's say OSHA's lockout tagout standard. I, I agree with that hundred percent, but it really is about just once in a while type accidents or the, the, the one that everybody loves is air can't be greater than 29 PSI, which if you go right. in shops, everybody, you've got those restrictors and everybody just cut them off, you know, yeah. because they can't yeah. stand dealing. It's like a low flush toilet. You know, everybody's going this, you know, this blows, so to speak. <laughs> and I, I want air, but the, the thing, but like when I tried to do safety, I, I tried to make it invisible, like that cliche about fish out of water. I mean, fish in water. They don't know they're in water. It's just, it's just happening. And you're not doing active thoughts. Because to me, if you want something, looking at the thing itself is the bad thing. You need to be looking at something else, and then it gets you where you want to go. It's got, well, like in dating, if you think I want to get married, you know, or whatever, if you're thinking about that, you'll never get the right relationship. But if you're thinking about something else, then you can get the right relationship. You know, what that's that something else there, Sean. What is that? What's something that? Else? Well, actually, I, I don't mean to get, well, honestly, I just thought I'm going to try to be the best person I can be. That's the way I looked at it. Like, would I want to be a person that woman would want to hang around? That's the way I thought about it. So, oh, well, it's too that late for sound, Jake now. Yeah, that's not that why I was thinking at all. Well, oh, believe me, I was thinking about other things as well. But really, <laughs> I tried to keep my primary thought focused on trying to be just kind of, well, not be a stiff idiot. That was my main, that was my main thing. So, there you go. Uh, yeah. So, um, despite the fact that your last sentence opens the door for all kind of inappropriate <laughs> jokes, comments, yes, that's, that I'm is going correct. to yeah. Yeah. restrain yeah, myself. Yeah, um, that makes but, sense. You know, we talk about, uh, or we just talked about, you know, workman's comp, which has, you know, a certain dynamic and effect on our behaviors and choices. OSHA, same thing. And then real safety. Yeah. And uh, there's two, I think, really big challenges that I'd like to dive into um, the first is that your bureaucratic safety that includes workman's comp, which is essentially about compliance to insurance regulations uh, and OSHA are uh, very binary. Like you're either safe or not on the basis of this standard, right? You either yeah. meet the standard or not. Whereas real safety is not about safe or not. It's not on and off. It's not binary. There's yeah. always room to make something a little safe. Right. Yeah. And they, those two sort of um, are culturally at odds with each other. Uh-huh. Right. So I've worked in high compliance industries, uh-huh. uh, including oil and gas um, manufacturer of the products they use, right? Pipeline castings, as well as tool and automotive, high compliance mindset. Right. That's, that's the culture. Yeah. And it really does inhibit innovation, including innovation around. Uh, safety. I mean, my, my main thing, like when I talked about when, especially when I was first doing safety, my main thing was, it's just, can we create a situation where you're not hurting at the end of the day? Because to me, you go into a lot of plants and a good number of people, really, that's they just take it as just normal everyday life. I hurt at the end of the day. And can we just take that away or at least reduce it? Like you say, John, not uh, binary, I don't hurt or I hurt, but at least let's try to, re- let's try to reduce that. And it, ideally I would, I would, uh, you know, my ideal world is you feel as good as you did if you'd sat in your uh, recliner in the living room, watching TV or something like that. You know, I mean, granted you may not catch that, but at least aim at it, you know, that kind of, and I don't go for the zero accident stuff. It's just like, 
make it as safe as if you're in your living room. And obviously a car could come off the street and drive through your wall and then you got a problem, but that's quite unlikely. And to me, I'm just going for something that's good and safe and we'll see what we can get, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It's part of the, the CI mindset, right? Like yeah. we're, we're always, we're going to get a little bit better today. Yeah. Right. right. Um, I think the, the second issue ties into this uh, pretty well. Uh, the binary mindset and the bureaucracy and the risk yeah. right around safety um, can create a cultural element that I've experienced quite a bit, which is um, like safety as a cudgel, right? Yeah. So you have you might have uh, employees who will use safety as an excuse to not do something. Well, I can't do that. That's unsafe. Huh. Because yeah. that's the Trump card, you know, that's yeah. like Hitler. Uh-huh. You can't get worse than that. You know, yeah. it's unsafe. And for management, you know, you want your employees to work safely, but also you understand that there is a risk profile that yeah. your insurance and legal team has basically signed off on. And, you know, all work has some risks. Just driving yeah. to work probably has more uh-huh. risks for most people than their actual workplace. Right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we do live in a world that has some risks in it. And so there has to be a balance, you know, with management where we are promoting a culture of safety, while at the same time, there's times when, you know, you kind of have to tell people that's unrealistic. You know, I'm sorry, but putting metal into the scrap recycling machine is dangerous. Like there Mm -hmm. is a risk there. Now, what we're not going to do is jump in the hopper and pack the metal down. Right. right, right. Yeah. Well, well, right. But to me, it's the, well, I think Jake, yeah, Jake was talking about it, but you said, oh, I'm going to lean a skid against a wall and you know, that, you know, we can't do that because it might fall over and it happens once every, you know, once in a lifetime. <laughs> that kind of thing. But the, at least one thing I've seen is they people get worked up about minor incidents and yeah, I don't want minor incidents, but to me, major incidents get really overlooked. Like I'll bring up a, an oil field services company I worked with. They, I mean, it was, it was very buttoned up, you know, no, no doubt about that, but they, that same company had a fire break out on a rig and people died inside what's called the doghouse or the control room because there was no way for them to get out. And then like in my mind that, and that this wasn't a rig I worked with, but it was a rig somewhere else. And the thing that got me is that that is something you can anticipate. And I think they were so hung up on minutia that they, there was an elephant there that they didn't do about, because to me, a window that you can pop out from the inside, if you need to that, you know, when you're designing that rig or one of those uh, hammers that'll break glass, you know, so people can at least, you know, like jump over, jump out because like you can get pretty high up off the ground on a rig, but I would, I would take my chances there and jump on the ground. You know what I'm saying? That kind of thing. But I think that could have been anticipated, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Um, I also think that, you know, some of the trends that we see are actually unhealthy and and probably not what we want. Right. And, and I'm going to go ahead and say this and be the bad guy to all of my safety professional friends out there. Uh, Behavior-based safety is one of them. Yeah. Right. Behavior-based safety is I'm going to watch employees behaviors and correct them. Yeah. And then we're going to be safe. 
Well, the major factors to safety are the kinds of things you just described, right? They are the the product of environment and systems interacting Uh in a way that was unexpected, right? Um, But that's hard to pay attention to because you can't blame somebody, right? Um, Well, did you send the rig guy for drug test afterwards? Well, I'll give you you a good story there. Like you talk about drug test. Uh, when I was first doing safety at the, at the first plant that I talked to you about, th- this is how crazy the rules get. But a, a forklift operator knocked over a bunch of skids onto another person. And that, that, that person got a compound fracture. And the company sent the person with the compound fracture to get a drug test and left the forklift operator alone. I, am I, I, kid, abs- I kid you not. I kid you I, not. I am absolutely yeah. amazed that you think that is out of the norm everywhere else i have ever worked for has had that no no i'm not ever worked for yeah well uh, yeah and i shouldn't have said that to you but to an audience depending on their experience level yeah it's no no it's it's ridiculous but i mean like like average people on the street will go you can't you you got to be kidding me right so i mean because to me yeah the person who got the compound fracture got tested and the person in the forklift didn't, you know, it was that kind of drugs. It was his fault for those landing on. Well, well, right. Yeah. Like, yeah, to me, well, yeah, it's, it's, it really is about blame. And it's like when they do accident investigations, it's kind of like you have to get it now. It's like, well, I'll, I'll contrast. Let me backtrack a little bit. When I first got into safety, it was like, there was the mentality at the time was it's always somebody's fault. It's always somebody's mm-hmm. fault. Now, the thing that's interesting now is and it's an ironic thing if you get into these large corporations you have to come up with a safety answer that totally excuses any kind of operator error but to me what's funny is that dimming himself said a certain percent it's a minor percent but a certain percent of errors are human error like a, a big majority is system part of it's human so i mean to me there are times it's just a person had a brain fart and and granted and there are times you cannot design the system around it. I'm all for designing the system around it if you can, but there are times it can't right. be. And ironically, the same companies that insist it's always the system, they they put all these rules and regulations on an individual to control their behavior. And to me, that's a little bit ironic because right. if it really is systemic, then why are you regulating people's behaviors at all? Well, you can't make it into management yeah. unless you have a lifetime of a perfect record without making a single human mistake every once. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. what it is. Right? Yeah. Right. You you go into the panel interview and they're like, "So tell me about a mistake you made." <laughs> oh, Are you yeah. fucking kidding me? Right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I well I, I made a mistake of working too hard. I was spending too many yes, hours yes. at the plant. I was too good at my job, and other people yeah. got offended. <laughs> yeah. Well, one yeah. time yeah. when I was yeah. walking yeah. across water, <laughs> yeah. I made the mistake. You know. Yeah. 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 Well, and you could even Google it. You know, it's like how to yeah. interview. It, you know. Yeah. When they ask you about, you know, something that you're not good at, how you yeah. should respond is, well, one thing that I've been slaving away at 40 yeah. hours a week after work yeah. hours just to get better yeah. at is, you know, fill in the blank. Like, yeah. no, it's it's bullshit. And I don't think yeah. that, you know, emotionally mature, realistic grownups uh, play that game or care, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm not certainly not going to interview you or anybody else and assume that you're not perfectly human like the rest of us. Yeah. I'm much more interested in like your style. How do you yeah. address things? And, you know, are you going to work well with this team? Because one, that's what's best for this team. And two, it's what's best for you, right? Yeah. You know, it's like the uh, bulls of the 90s back before Jake yeah. was born. You know, not everybody could come play with Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen huh. 
and win yeah. a championship with them. Yeah. You know, there were people like, I don't know, maybe Hakeem Olajuwon, they're never going to get along, right? The egos are too big. Yeah. They won't fit in the yeah. same basketball court, you know, yeah, something right. like that. Um, but anyway, so that's all a sidebar and, uh, maybe that belongs in our talent acquisition rant, but, uh, you know, bringing it back to safety. Yeah. There's, there's definitely a, a gap between sort of required safety just by the nature of regulation Yeah, and, you know, safety can be used like a, a cudgel, you know, like, well, I can't oh, yeah. do this. It's not safe. Oh, yeah. Well, hogwash. Yeah. You know, if you don't believe me and, and don't get me wrong, I'm a huge advocate. I think that if companies have the ability to make the work safer, they also have an ethical responsibility. Yeah. But then go to India and Indonesia and Pakistan and some of these other countries and watch them work. Their assessment of risk is different than ours. What they think of as safe is different than ours. And it's a lot of it is based on socioeconomic factors, right? Yeah. Um, I could make my glass factory perfectly safe, zero chance of you getting injured by glass, but I would go out of business. Uh So we do the same thing. Um, We just, you know, don't kind of like to talk about the fact that it's actually a risk profile and we are comfortable with a certain level of risk in performing uh, the work. We have a responsibility to train and watch and educate, but it's much easier to just blame people when something goes wrong. Yeah, right. yeah. I think the the biggest one uh, I recall the most recent OSHA reports: sprains and strains being the most common. Yeah, like, well, mm-hmm. are you straining a human at any one point in your entire job from end to end? Yes, yes, you are. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, so there's a story that Jake and I are familiar with: a mm-hmm. uh, company where an employee crashed a powered industrial truck into a support column, right? Yeah. And the uh, employee was pretty shaken up and yeah. said, you know, the my, my brakes failed. I didn't know oh. what to do. If I keep oh. driving, I'm going to drive into the office. And, yeah. he, you know, he's not wrong because he hit this pole, you know, 40 feet from the office. And behind yeah. the office, of course, is the exterior wall, you know. Yeah. Um, and so he kind of crashed into the pole on purpose. Yeah. Um, to stop the stop the lift. Yeah. And uh, so he followed all the procedure, you know, stopped, got off the lift, came and got somebody, yeah. whatever. Maintenance That's guy right gets there. on the lift and you know, he said he says, I just I put the pedal through the floor. There's no brakes on this thing. Yeah, right, right. So he figured out like how to get the lift back to the maintenance service area and all of that. And so we're supposed to do like a safety investigation. And okay. you know, where my mind is going is you know, maybe the PMs on these lifts are inadequate to oh, keep up yeah. with the braking system. You know, maybe oh, yeah. they're this, you know, you measure for, for those that don't know that are listening on powered industrial trucks, you measure service hours. That's like yeah. the amount of time they're in operation. Yeah. Well, the PM might be scheduled once a month on the basis yeah. of 60 operating hours. Yeah. And if you're, so if you're getting 90 operating hours on that equipment in a month, well, your, your PM schedule is inadequate, right? So yeah. my mind's kind of going down this path and we got, uh, or somebody, I should say, um, somebody got feedback, you know, you need to fire this person. And this came oh, from wow. Wow. corporate. Wow. Okay. Right? And I, I don't know exactly like the motivation there because 
I think I'm a reasonably decent person with two brain cells to rub together for friction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they were going down this path of, well, he was going too fast. Well, first wow. of all, how do you know? Yeah. Just, how yeah. do you know? What do you mean going too yeah. fast? Mm-hmm. Well, you're, you're not supposed to go faster than eight miles an hour. Okay. Is there a governor on the truck? Yeah. Is there a speedometer on the truck? Mm-hmm. Third, how the hell do you know how fast he was going? You don't know. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, based on the damage, we can... No, you can't. You're not a fucking physicist. And if you were, you would know. There's no way you can calculate that. Yeah, right. You're not smart enough, right? Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Did you do the crumple zone of aluminum, you know, against a reinforced concrete barrier? I mean, it's it's complete hogwash, right? You're you're just trying to justify a bad reactionary email that you sent out earlier, right? So, but to me, it, it just... that that story just reveals a very rotten culture, right? Yeah. Where you could talk about safety all you want, but if the results of an incident like that, you know, are to fire somebody, what effect does that have on the organization mm-hmm. when it comes to safety? Jake, yeah. what would you do if you were a fork truck operator and Oh, oh first off, I would badmouth the entire community about what a shite organization that is. Yeah, yeah. But I've actually got a personal story that is very, very adjacent to that, where an employee new at the company, first day, is out getting his orientation out on a warehouse floor, doing his own whatever he'll do. And employee B, who had been there for years, mistakes new employee A for like the guy that's sleeping with his wife, right? Not the right guy, not somebody actually knows, but I guess a glance or I guess a rough on a phone life believes it. Tackles the guy, gives him a good couple of punches before we break him up and separate the two. We bring him in to talk with safety and talk with what happened and what went wrong. And the safety guy whoops out a book and says, we're a no blame company. We're going to be letting both of you guys go. Wow. Boy, that's imagine how these policies and procedures in the same vein, like what that does for the culture and for the people. Gets me about your story, Jake, is that is total downside. The guy gets tackled, gets fired, and he didn't even get to do the thing he right. was accused of. Right. Man, that's, that's pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's pretty bad. You well, know, I mean, the guy shit, that, if that's your policy next time, I'm just going to belt him back. You know? Yeah. 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 yeah exactly. Yeah. That's a, you well, actually inadvertently just created a policy where if you want to get somebody fired, just hit them, get it out of your yeah, system. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess you get to go with them, but yeah, there you go. That's a. Well, the, see, the those two stories, one, they're uh, anecdotal, but true, right? They happen mm-hmm. in real life. And, and yeah. as shocking as they may be to listeners, this kind of thing happens all the time, right? And two, like they, they sort of complement each other in, in a Luciferian way, because mm-hmm. in the first case, the uh, corporate policies, et cetera, did not prohibit a C-suite member of the company from saying, fire somebody because their fork truck failed. Yeah. Right, uh, completely reactionary, unfair, and also opening the company up to risk, frankly. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and on the other side, you have a company, you know, putting somebody's livelihood at risk, you know, taking away their livelihood because, well, we have a, a policy. It's right here in the book. Sorry. You know, you're, you're screwed. I'm, don't blame right. me. I'm just the messenger. You yeah, know, my hands, my hands uh, are tied. My I, hands are tied. My, yeah. my hands are tied really pisses me off because it's yeah. just, it's, it's nonsense. People do what they want to do. Like you can throw every rule in the book out, but if people want to do it, they'll do it. You know, 
Oh yeah, we're pretty creative, like as a species. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're good at yeah. good at no. figuring out. Oh, oh they'll find want. they'll find a way to bend the rule beyond any human recognition to get what they want. <laughs> you know, so so don't tell me your hands are tied. If you want it bad enough, you'll you'll find a right. way. Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, just talking about safety in the workplace, uh, maybe let's shift gears a little bit um, yeah. as leaders in in companies, right? We want our employees to uh, be safe. That's the, the first thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe I think like worst case scenario, you have leaders who aren't thinking about it, right? Mm-hmm. There's other stuff on their mind. They're thinking about, uh, we're two days behind or, or oh. what have you. And so they're not thinking yeah. actively about it. But when sure. they do, we all agree, like, I want my guys to go home like the way they came in. Like nobody wants my teammates to get hurt, right? Um, so if we just take that as the ideal state, right? Like that's what we all want, right? First, why is it so hard to get there? And two, what are some things that our listeners can do, you know, right now? to sort of move along that journey in a more productive way. Well, uh, what I would suggest, and I'm going to plug the book quantum lean here, but I, I, and this may sound ironic, but focus on the product, because if you use the product to kind of guide you on what to do, you're going to make a better work situation. And to me, now, one thing I would add, if you are thinking about like operator comfort, you know, personal person, personal comfort and like not overdoing the body. And the thing I would suggest, and now Jake's too young to remember this, but I'll throw something at you. Uh, like, and I think John will remember this, but in the nineties, ergonomics became a craze. And I don't know, did you, did you get to see any of that Jake or not really? I mean, they, uh, no, we actually cared about human lives by the time I was in, in the workforce. <laughs> right. Now what's funny is one thing I always kind of held in contempt about ergonomics is all they wanted to do was put a curved handle on stuff, you know, and right, also, right. and also create things where you just do all these awkward positions. Like Jake, you're not going to remember this, but they had a keyboard in the nineties where your hands did this, you know, I, just, yeah. I don't know if you remember that John. And I mean, it's yeah. just, it didn't, it, it just went over like a lead balloon. But the, but the point I bring up is that like ergonomics, I think is, is a, as, as a very beneficial thing, if you're thinking about it right. Like they say, it's force, frequency, position. And there's one thing I add is time. Because if you think about force and time, to me, those are the two biggies. I don't care. Well, frequency's there. But if you get the time and if you get the force down, that's the governing thing. Because then the frequency doesn't matter that much. But if you can get the force and the time down, and what I mean by that, if you're having to hold a force for a long time at a time, that's what I've always found to be the damaging thing. And then, mm-hmm. and then frequency, then awkwardness of position, awkwardness of position. If, if you've got no force, no frequency and no, no dwell time on it, then you know, position just doesn't matter that much. So I'd say if you're thinking about those things and think about the product to tell you what to do, you can streamline things. And then, uh, and then to me, if you're thinking about that other thing about the ergonomic aspect, and, and just doing things that like, you know, to me, OSHA is not a terrible guy. There are things that they do that are overkill. But if you're thinking about what could go wrong, you know, then I think that you can, you can do a pretty safe workplace. And if you're a part of a large corporation, like you're going to have to deal with the, with the lawyers. And to me, I, and I don't know, tell me if I'm wrong, John, but I have a feeling that firing or, or penalizing that guy for, for driving too fast may have been a legally driven thing where they have to have a cause. And so they take an action to supposedly cover themselves. But like you say, they open 
the lawyer, I think, is being dumped because they are opening a can of worms. Oh, you didn't maintain your brakes? Because to me, like when I see somebody that didn't maintain their brakes, I mean, they really didn't maintain things because brakes have all kinds of redundancies to them. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, you've got generally two circuits. You got uh, an emergency brake on top of it. And when you've got complete failure, you had three things that had to go wrong simultaneously. That, you know, that's typical what I've seen. It's, it's to me, just bunk. And so the, the yeah. company opened themselves up. They neglected maintenance, no two ways about it. You know? And if you really want to start getting down to that, I've, even though maintenance may not be keeping their records, they probably uh, they could hang the person that rejected you know, the design you know, rejected the request to fix things. Cause I have a feeling like that probably, well, no, it's that, I don't know if that's what happened, but I suspect it. So that those would be things I suggest, but yeah, if now if in a perfect world, I'd say fire the lawyers and just take your chances in court because you will do 10 times better because everybody's going, Oh, I'm going to get sued. I'm going to get sued. And to me, it doesn't happen that much. And the law actually favors employers to a level that's not to be believed. You know, like I, I don't have the heart to ask what it would take for someone to sue a company successfully. And to me, most of the time that person has to be without merit of any kind. That's what I've seen. People that actually get shafted, get nothing in court. The people that are actually losers and don't do anything worth a crap, they actually get the multi-million dollar judgments. That's been my general, <laughs> that's been my general observation, you know, reward, no, I, reward I, I the guilty you. and punish the innocent, you know, no, yeah. I need you to get his positions and frequency conversation right in with his dating conversation. Oh, there, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's fair. That's fair. With the yeah. awkwardness of position. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There. Yeah. That's fair. So, so I'm going to kind of, um, I'm going to lump everything into kind of two silos when we yeah. talk about this. So you're a business leader and we're not saying you're a safety professional. Um, you might just be an ops manager or something like that. Um, but safety is a concern, right? You, you want your team to operate safely and maybe more safe, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's important to you. Um, well, I kind of lump everything into two different buckets, right? And the first one is what I call compliance, right? Mm -hmm. And the compliance bucket is those things that you just, you, they're non-negotiable. You have to do them because they're corporate policy, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the problem that I've kind of run into is for some corporations, there's so much in this compliance bucket, like they're trying to cover all their bases, right? We, we want to we cover every possible instantiation. Uh, it creates a ton of work and it creates so much work that nobody goes beyond it. Uh -huh. Right. Uh, and that's the, to me, that's the compliance culture. Yeah. Right? And then the pencil Which, whipping. I'll add pencil yeah, whipping. Absolutely. Like crazy. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Uh, but then the other bucket, right. So the compliance, if, if you're listening to this, um, it's just something you have to do and you may or may not have varying levels of success questioning it. My advice would be don't question it, just do it. Um, you know, that's that bucket. But then the second is the real safety, right? Um, and there's some things that you can do there uh, as a leader. You know, one of them is, yeah, follow the, like, if you make product, follow the product and just watch, right? Just watch what happens to turn your inputs into outputs. And you'll, you know, get a pretty good feel for some of the risks involved, right? So typically the janitor is facing you know, less risk than the press break operator, right? Fair. Um, you know, you can't cut your hands off with a broom yet. 
or it takes a lot more effort anyway. <laughs> but you can also uh, just talk to people and listen to them. Right. Yeah. And this is where um, I think things get weird. And, you know, for our listeners out there, you have to use a little wisdom here, you know, they have a little bit of shrewdness, but there's a lot of companies that um, will really frown on you as a leader. If you're talking to your employees, like, do you think this is safe? How could we make this more safe? You know, stuff like that. Um, and some of that I think does come back to like the lawyers, like the legal team and, you know, what, what are we supposed to be saying? What are we not supposed to be saying kind of thing? So use your brain, know your context and your culture, but just talk to people, you know, watch them, um, ask questions. I'm aware of a job in a factory and that's as specific as I'll get, but, uh, that is very demanding. And people get injured in this job because it's physically demanding. Well, the culture of the people that are in this bargaining unit is basically like, you know, we, we are the toughest dudes on the planet. If you can't make it, you know, F you, you're not good enough. You know, we're the, we're the Navy SEALs of the factory, <laughs> all this uh, unhealthy ego uh, type of thing going on. Right. Um, th those are some barriers you might run into. Uh, as a leader, uh, unhealthy ego, uh, unhealthy corporate culture. Um, so, you know, use your brain, but yeah, just talk to people and, and find out what they're thinking and feeling. Um, I, I, another yeah, I thing. Totally, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. I just so totally agree with that. That's that to me is utterly key. So I'm, I'm sorry about interrupting. So go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah. Like actual, have actual conversations, talk to folks, um, uh, another thing is like you can review your OSHA 300 log, you know, or whatever other records you might keep. Um, I was reviewing an OSHA log some time ago and 80% of the injuries, right, that are listed. So these are OSHA recordable injuries, right? 80% of them were essentially muscle strain, sprains, et cetera. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a pretty good indicator that your your work is too physically demanding that you need to do something about that um so some some sources of information like that i i still think like for that i kind of go back to ono's you know facts versus data thing like don't jump to conclusions like read your your records your safety records but use that to point you where to go look at what's happening um don't don't just assume on the basis of tabulated data, right? It doesn't, it's not really telling you facts on the ground, um, but you can go there. You can start there. Um, using tools like the Ono circle, you know, and stuff like that, like just stand in one spot, watch this physical area of the building, right? So this is kind of the inverse of like follow the product. So like instead of follow the product, you're letting it flow past you, right? Um, I use this typically like busy intersection type of stuff. If, if uh, I'm worried about uh, safety involving fork trucks or also sometimes you'll have like where three or four conveyor lines come together, like in a big distribution environment. Um, I'll just stand there and watch that because that's where the stuff gets clogged. That's where people are like reaching in to poke it with a stick. So it gets unstuck, you know, things that can lead to um, unsafe behaviors, right? All of your like parking areas, you know, for power equipment, that's a great place to just stand and watch. I know uh, quite a few 
places that I've been, like that's the most dangerous part of the day. You know, that's where your ankle gets crushed because, you know, somebody's trying to get in their lift and two people are trying to get out and it's a kind of a traffic jam, you know, stuff like that, right? Uh, what other tips and tricks have you got up your sleeve, Jake? I've been trying to to, to gussy up. <laughs> Sean has been quite reserved in his language and uh, tried not to make a comment about intersex. And then about uh, also treating your business like a brothel, you know, give handout safety gear, have good ground rules, right? participate where you can and watch where you can't. Jake. Treat your business like a brothel. Huh. Hand out safety gear. Set some ground rules. Yeah. Right. Participate where you can. Yeah. And go and watch. Well, I think I think Jake makes a great point because you you talked, John, you talked about degree of things. Every no, nothing's black and white, and we're all prostitutes. It's just a question of degree. <laughs> what what kind of price? What kind of price right. we're requiring to prostitute what ourselves? So are I think we it's providing at what price? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. I, I think, you know, I mean, when I prostitute myself, it, it, the price needs to be ideally, I think, pretty high. So, yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, um, it's it's actually a pretty good um, metaphor, partly because, you know, the uh, industry that you're talking about has high risk. And what I've noticed is higher risk industries uh, tend to have better developed programs because otherwise they wouldn't be an industry anymore. Right. Um, it's not really an industry, but the branch of government that cares for our nuclear missiles, you know, they have got a ton of processes and procedures to minimize the risk of everything. Right. It's almost impossible for a nuke to go off accidentally. Right. So that's not what the safety protocols are around, but they are around, you know, theft and espionage, as well as accidental exposure to radiation. And believe it or not, um, like crush hazards and stuff like that. When you're doing transport, that's actually a, a significant issue. And when the, the payload is radioactive and highly sensitive and costs billions of dollars, you know, like a rescue and recovery operation has to be specialized as well. So we'd rather just not get into that at all, right? Someday after we've had a few drinks, I'll tell you a story that a friend of mine told me who was an army ranger in charge of escorting nuclear warheads across Germany during the Cold War um, in the back of a wagon behind a Jeep and they broke down in a blizzard in Germany. Like this is how close we were to total um, nuclear annihilation back in the Cold War. But anyway, um, so they they have these procedures and you know, my, my takeaway from that is they don't rely on, hey, works more safely, stupid, nor do they rely on okay, you know, here's behavior-based safety. We're going to have all of these programs, you know, toolbox talks and, and all of this. Instead, it's here's how you're going to do the work. Follow these steps in this order the same way every time, right? And that gets back to the process element, you know, that we were talking about. And yeah, there's a, there's a compliance thing there. Like if you're a leader and you have... Uh, processes and procedures in place, uh, people have to follow them, right? Otherwise, what's the point? And some of the those steps, right, are there for safety purposes. Um, so one thing that I do on the standard work instructions, like when I'm helping companies write these um, steps in the process that are critical to safety, have like a little safety symbol, 
next to them, right? And I do the same thing with quality as well. But I do this on purpose because it is human nature to one question the steps. Like, can I get away with not doing this? How can I make it easier on myself? Um, and so I want them to know the reason that we do it this way in this step is so you don't hurt yourself, right? Um, so some kinds of communication like that can help as well if you're a leader, you know, trying to uh, improve safety in your operation. All right. I've not done that, but it's a good idea. I like that very much. So. We sell that online if somebody's interested. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. But shameless plug. Uh, by the way, for those of you that are listening, uh, we might possibly take on another client or two if you need help in growing your business by leaps and bounds. Um, but we're in high demand and we're really expensive because we're awesome. So get in line and uh, we'll see what we can do. Speaking of which, Sean, Quantum Lean, what are you up to these days? Well, I'm, wor- I'm working in Oklahoma right now. I'm working with businesses, you know, manufacturing businesses there. And I like right, right now I'm working through the Oklahoma Manufacturing Alliance, but I'm still affiliated with Beehive Fund and Michael Sanders and I, you know, like stay in touch and like Beehive Fund's doing a lot of good in Texas right now. And so to me, if, if somebody did want to work on safety programs, you know, lean systems, that kind of thing, I would, I would definitely suggest getting in touch with me or Michael Sanders and uh, an easy way to do that. Just a, a central place is if you went to Beehive Fund, one word. Dot org, you could find either one of us and then we could get into specifics at that point, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. We talked about uh, beehive fund a little bit the last time you were on the show. Glad that's still going strong. Yeah. Um, so a uh, little bit of a wrap up for all of our listeners out there in YouTube land. Thank you for uh, joining us, but we just wanted to bring Sean on today and talk about safety a little bit um, because there's a lot of uh, hogwash around it in all kinds of industries. Um, whether that's you know relegating safety to like an individual or a silo or a program to ineffective uh, execution of tools like behavior-based safety, using safety as a cudgel, uh, bureaucratic safety versus iterative. Um, so thanks for discussing some of these things with us, Sean, as well as some things we can do as professionals, you know, things we can look out for, uh, to improve safety environments. No, I appreciate it. I think, I think your program's great. I think, I think, you know, the pod, a lot of podcasters do a good job, but I think y'all's is a little bit different and I think that's, it's got a space that's really called for. So yeah, I I love to be on the show. So I appreciate y'all having me. So I do love, we got to blame sucks. No blame sucks. Behavior base sucks. <laughs> you want yeah. it to not suck? Actually, change the way you do work. How about that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, Which and we it can all help goes. You with. Yeah, yeah, but it all goes. But it really does go to the work, and you got to work with the people that do the work. And to me, I think a lot of the safety stuff is imagined by people who have never come within a hundred miles of the work, and then yeah. you know, you get all those problems that that kind of flow from that. You know. Yeah. So our encouragement is use the same approach to improving safety as you do to improving the rest of your business, which is actually engage in the process, listen to your teammate and make iterative change. And sometimes that's really hard because, you know, we're going to be honest about some corporate cultures and and that sort of thing. So use your brain. Don't put a target on your back. Um, But this is something that you can 
improve and we encourage you to do so. Sean, do you have any words of wisdom or last ideas to leave the audience with? Well, uh, I, like I say, I gave contact information for me and Michael Sanders. And also, uh, I'll do the shameless plug one more time. If you're interested in some of the ideas that we talked about here, you're going to get a lot of that in the book Quantum Lean. And so just go to Amazon and you can type or go to, you know, go to Barnes and Noble, wherever, but just type Quantum Lean into the search and you'll find the book. And I think you'll be glad you, you got it. So anyway, it's so all do that plug. As far as words of wisdom from there, I think you said it quite well. Work with the people, work with the process, work with the product. And I think that you can make really good changes in safety and get rid of thinking of it as a set, a set of legal hurdles. Think of it as an operational thing that can actually make the whole operation better. And that's when I was, I was, I think, pretty successful with safety. And it was when I took an operational angle that I think that it worked really well. Yeah, well, well Sean, we'll same post below. Uh, we'll reach out to you to communicate via the ORG. And we'll up our frequency and uh, change our positions periodically. <laughs> All right. Sounds great. <laughs> All right. Sean, thank you as always for coming yeah. on a quality podcast to our friends and listeners out there in YouTube land. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.